Good morning, good morning. Welcome to another episode of Down by Law with your host, the wonderful, the handsome. The, I'm not talking about you, Lee. Stop pointing to yourself, man. <laughs> this is Daryl A. Gray. We have a very special guest here this morning, Mr. Edwin M. Shorty Jr. Good morning, brother. How you doing? We doing we doing all right, man. It's it's the holiday season, my favorite time of year. People start to love one another again, even in the midst of this crazy, crazy, globally shifting pandemic we've been dealing with. Um, I'm glad you're here today with us. I'm glad I'm gl- to see you, brother. I'm glad to see you too. Hadn't seen you in a while. Fresh cut, man. Oh uh, yeah, man. You know, we had to. Uh, we we took some some family pictures, so I had to get my hair cut. But I'm gonna grow it back out. <laughs> I understand. And that's going to take a while because I don't. It doesn't grow very fast. <laughs> hey, brother, I am. I'm certainly on a uh, COVID hair spree. <laughs> you know, as you get further down the trail, you start to really you start to appreciate things like growing a little hair on the top of your head. You know, being able to lose weight when you want to. All of this stuff it changes though quickly. I, I am definitely doing my best to hide a receding hairline. <laughs> well, we had the same club. It's, it's a nonstop struggle. <laughs> Stop struggle. <laughs> Ed, we're glad to have you here today. We're going to talk about all things. Uh, we're definitely going to talk about bankruptcy because you are one of the uh, leading bankruptcy attorneys in the state of Louisiana. I don't know if people out there know this about you, but you also do personal injury. Yeah, brother. But, you know, uh, you know, we always got to spotlight each other, and I appreciate you having me on. Man. Yeah, That's what it's all about, brother. Absolutely, absolutely. So let's, let's get into it. I want to talk about... Not only, you know, I, you're an attorney, and that's great. You've been doing it you're two, de- two decades in the game, right? Yes. Two, that's, and that's substantial. You're talking about experience. You know, I always, I always tell people, like, somebody, call, hey, I need a lawyer for this. And I give them a referral. And they say, well, the lawyer said it's called, it costs this much. I say, you know what? You pay what you, you get what you pay for. You get what you pay for. And, and then people have a certain level of experience. And if you don't, you know, if you feel like you, you, know, you don't want to pay for that experience, then you need to go somewhere else. I think you and I have learned this lesson over time that you just can't do everything and you end up doing a few things and you try and do those things well. Right. Um, but you got to be wary of those people who are like, well, I do, you know, domestic and criminal and PI How? and bankrupt. And you go, no, dude, you don't do all that. No, you can't. Not, not well, not well, not well. You don't have the time to switch through all those things. Like right. That. But so I've been doing bankruptcy for a long time and PI like you, um, and hopefully I've gotten somewhat proficient in those things. It, you know, one of the things I really appreciate about you is that when I, when I see you and we talk, the, the level of intelligence you have, the conversation always is always enriching for me personally, because you just know what you're talking about and you know what you're doing. Well, brother, you and I always have really good conversations. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> and it's across the board. Cause a lot of times we'll, it's about business uh, and it's about our community right. and things that we'd like to do in our community, things that we'd like to see differently. Right. Uh, and I think sometimes our our community doesn't always necessarily get the cause and effect of, of certain things. Ooh. Hey, you know, if you if you support our businesses, then when you ask our businesses to support those things that you mm. want to be involved in, mm. then it's easier for us to do it. It's easier for us to provide those turkeys for Thanksgiving and mm. toys for Christmas and jerseys for sports leagues and that kind of stuff. Right. Um, <laughs> and and all that kind of goes hand in hand. Yeah, and and if you you know you got to understand where those uh, 
where the, that help is coming from. You know, if you see us in the community and we, we are put we put ourselves in a position where you can touch us and you can interact with us and you can ask us questions and we may not necessarily get anything from that inter- interaction, but we are positioned to be able to help you in that regard. That's giving back. And a lot of, you know, majority businesses don't do the same thing. They don't value our people for who they are. They may value as a commodity. You know, that's the thing. Like, and you know, I'll just, I'll just, you know, this is my show. I can say what I want. I keep it 100. You being valued as a commodity is the same as you being valued as a slave. A slave was a commodity as well. Yeah. So if, if you're a, if you're an economic slave or you're in economic servitude to a certain um, interest, then it's the same thing. It's also interesting the things that people uh, will give you some ability to handle for them. And, and the flip side is other things that they don't want you to be bothered with. Oh, hey, look, I'll bring you my traffic tickets all day long. But and I'll and I'll ask you to help my brother when he got arrested. Right. But when I get the big case, no, I'm going to somebody else. Somebody who's never stood in the gap for my family, somebody who I can't call on their cell phone, um, somebody who doesn't know my community, uh, <laughs> we'll reach out to those folks and say, you know what, let you make money off of me. Right. And and those people who stood with you, you just turn your back on them and you say, Oh, I didn't know you did that. You you lying. You know I did that. You know everything <laughs> that I do. Exactly. It, you know, and, and and the thing about it is you have to understand from a this is this is coming from a lawyer perspective. And I knew we were gonna start talking about some of this stuff, and I think it's important for us to understand this. You can't advocate effectively for somebody who you don't know and respect. You have to respect your client because you have to be able to say, I'm going to fight for you because I understand how this is how this how this, how this situation affects your wife, your children how it affects, you know, your everyday life, your struggles, you know, with your job or your friends and family members, whatever. We, You have to understand that. And if you're, if the person that you hire to handle that big case for you doesn't understand it, how are they going to try? How are you going to be treated fairly in that situation? Look, you've got to be able to speak the same language. How many times have Bingo. you been in a deposition with your client and your client is asked a question and the other attorney is 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 doesn't understand what your client's saying? And you step in and translate. Basically, you say, no, you got it wrong. This is what he's saying. Right. He's saying it in in a vernacular of what we're used to in our community. And and you're on a different vernacular, but you guys are just not communicating with each other, right. which gives you different perceptions. And you're basically an interpreter. And and if you can't do that for your client, then your client's not well represented. Right. And that's the brilliance of somebody like you to be able to even acknowledge and articulate that fine nuanced uh, situation when it comes to the law. Like that's something that most people don't really understand when you talk, when you start to look behind the curtains um, as it relates to what we do every day and walking in court or, you know, representing people, especially when it comes to to, to any aspect of law, but personal injury uh, specifically, because, you know, you're, you're saying that this person was injured in this accident or injured in this situation. And this is how much the case is worth and why. If you can't understand the why and you can't articulate or translate the why, then that becomes one of those issues to where, hey, man, uh, th- this this guy is as valuable as this person who's a doctor or uh, this person who, you know, happens to be white or whatever. You know, it's just like the fight that we always have about lawyer advertising. And we say, you know, people have these expectations because of a commercial they saw. Yeah. 
and you say, man, you did, the one thing you didn't see was what the injuries were to the person. <laughs> and, and you've got this outsized expectation of what your injury is valued at because you saw a commercial where somebody got $250,000 or $400,000. Right. And I tell people any day, look, I've got those kind of numbers from pe- for people like that. But they were hurt. They were right. significantly hurt. Right. Don't think that just because the policy is whatever that you get that policy and all you did was break your pinky uh, toe or something. Yeah, that's pie in the sky expectations that aren't realistic. But again, you know, that that goes to how your attorney addresses the situation when you come in and meet them. You know, we talk about that as well. Um, once a client comes in, we kind of manage the expectations, tell them what it takes to get those kind of numbers on cases. And it's not like it's not like you think just because you see some. And a lot of times, too, let me let's let's do the reverse of that. You may see on TV somebody say, oh, I got four hundred thousand dollars for this client, like four hundred thousand dollars. But guess what? The case might have been worth a million. Mm-hmm. And that person got 400000 because they devalued that actual client and their client's injuries and how it affected their lives. So that's also something you have to consider when you start talking about hiring an attorney. Like, do they are they really going to care about you enough to go to the mat for you and get you what you deserve? Look, I know you've done it because I've done it. How many times have you gotten a significant number for folks and you've tried to set them up with financial advisors? Huh. And you said, look, let me let me let me get somebody on the phone who can put this money, lock it up for you, who can advise you because I don't want to just give you this money and you blow it. And sometimes these settlements can change folks' lives. Right. And you really want to make sure, hey, look, this is a a once-in-a-lifetime thing. Let's make sure that this this can help you and and your family. Right. And you go the extra mile. Um, And that's something that I know you guys do. That's something I've tried to do. But – you got to care about somebody to do that. You have to care first. Like it starts there. That's the baseline. You have to be concerned about that person's future, their family and all of that jazz. And if you're not, which most law firms, I'm, I'm just going to be real. They don't care. They just want to get, you know, get the cases resolved, get what they're going to get out of it. It's a business transaction. They move on, but we're vested in the community. We're vested in our people. And we want to make sure that they're okay. And it's, it, you know, not only that, but, but when you have the expertise to get that, those kind of results, that needs to be that needs to be widespread and championed, and people need to know about that, and they know they have attorneys that look like them that's out here getting it, you know. And that's what you know. I think we, I think like again, you start talking about all the advertising and all that. People don't people don't know that they just see like who they see on a regular basis. They do, and and look, but you've also got to establish that. Well, I don't want to say you got to establish that because I think we we all do our best to establish trust, but inherently, I find sometimes that. Our people just just are speculative of the things that we are saying. And yeah. if somebody else who Trust. doesn't look like us says the exact same thing, then, oh, that thing carries more weight. Right. And how many times have you gotten a call of, um, you, or you tell somebody something, and they say, well, that's the same thing the other guy said. Well, wh- why are you second-guessing what I said? Well, what makes you second-guess me? <laughs> Grass is greener. Always water is Water is cooler. That's what, you know, that's what my, my grandma, Mr. Charlie Water, y'all just think Mr. Charlie Water is cooler. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. I'm trying to tell you this. Listen, but, you know, again, it's about education. That's one of the things that, that we, you know, we strive for at this show to just educate our people. And you don't you don't have to go to me. You can, you can go to Ed. You can go to somebody else. You got somebody competent. I want to make sure you go on to somebody who's competent to help you. You know, you want to be comfortable. And it is about trust at the end of the day. Once you establish that bond of trust, then you get to a position where, you know that this person has your best interest at heart. And that's that's what's important when it comes to hiring a lawyer. You gotta you gotta know 
that this dude is going to hold me. Or this, this young lady is going to hold me down. And that's what's important. So, Ed, let's talk about some other stuff because we got a lot of it, I really want to get into some of the things that affect uh, uh, business owners. Mm-hmm. You know, we we as a, a as a community, we always, you know, lack the knowledge and the, uh, the uh, resources to effectively run our businesses, you know, and people don't understand this. And I want to get into this a little bit uh, when we start talking about bankruptcy and then some, you know, business bankruptcy a little bit. Profit margins are always kind of thin. Yes. People don't understand that. Like you'll see a company like, man, it's a big company. They're making all this money, but they're making money, but that means they're also spending a lot of money. They got a lot of significant overhead. And, and one place I see that a lot, um, is from the standpoint of bankruptcy in, in my elected office um, as constable, what I'll see is small landlords. Mm-hmm. And people don't realize the profit margin on being a landlord. And I've done a lot of bankruptcies for individuals who had five or six rental properties, and they they weren't multifamilies. Their profit margins were not high. And any fluctuation in insurance premiums or taxes completely sunk their business. Right. Um, and now with COVID, these folks have lost significant revenue from uh, folks in it being advertised that you didn't have to pay your rent and that you couldn't evict. Right, people. right. Uh, <laughs> so, so it sunk Crazy. a lot. It sunk a lot of landlords, and these landlords were not five hundred unit having landlords. These were mom and pops, mom and pops elderly extra folks, the extra um, who who had property and it supplements their rental income. And that just goes directly to what you were saying about profit margins. They couldn't take the hit. They couldn't absorb the loss. Right. And a lot of times they would have worked with folks who were trying to pay something. But when you're saying, hey, I can't evict you. And, oh, by the way, you need to continue to pay your mortgage note. And, by the way, you need to continue to maintain insurance on your property. And, by the way, you need to continue to pay your property taxes. Otherwise, your property will go to tax sale. And they just sunk. And that's a lot. And you're talking about. In the aggregate, we're, we're talking, we're, we're almost two years into the pandemic. And I guess people just started back paying rent. So if you didn't have money saved up to to adjust to those shifting swings in the uh, in the economy and, the, you know, and just the world in general, then that's easy for people to go under. And folks don't understand that. They don't understand how business works, especially when you start talking about mom and pops. But we're going we're gonna to delve into that just a little bit more. 504-582-9422, 504-582-9422. We are on today with attorney Edwin M. Shorty Jr. We're talking about all kinds of things that affect the good folks here in New Orleans um, and across the country, really. So because bankruptcy is a federal law, you know, it, it's kind of it's kind of uniform across the uh, United States. Yes. Yes. So we can you know, he's going to give you all some good information and. What I'm going to do right now is get him to share his contact information, website, phone number, um, whatever else you want to. Uh, you can give him your, your Zodiac sign if you well, look, you so can inclined. Also, you can always hit the office up at 504-207-1370, 504-207-1370, or uh, on the web, www.eastshortylawoffice.com. Um, and look, any kind of question, I don't mind. A, a lot of times, like you, even if I can't help somebody, even if it's not an area where I practice, I can usually point you in the right direction right. or tell you, hey, look, leave that alone. That's that's not – you're not going to get anything out of this particular issue. 
or we've all got a network of people who we could say, well, look, I know somebody who does divorces. I know somebody who does right. criminal work. Somebody um, you trust. Somebody who I trust. Right. Um, and, and I do oftentimes want feedback because sometimes I may send somebody somewhere and they say, your guy didn't call me back. I said, well, good. I need to know that. You need to know that, yeah. That means I Because you call me because you trust me. You trust my opinion. You want Correct. me to help you with this situation. I can't help you, but I know somebody who potentially could. And if I send you send you that way and you come back down the road and say, oh, he didn't answer the phone. Well, I need to know that. Just like I, I, said. Exactly. Exactly. Ed, so look, the distinguished Mr. Edwin Short is on the show today. Ed, why don't you, I, I want to ask you a couple of questions so people can get to know you. You, know. you are native New Orleanian. Yeah. Lower Ninth Ward guy. Lower Ninth Ward. Lee, where are you from? Lee from Lee from Lakeview. From who? Man, New knock East. it off. Lee, you too old to be from New Orleans East. New Orleans East just came around like I thought you were born in like thirty two or something. He said he was there when they drained it. He was there when they drained like they drained it, said they're gonna leave. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm an Algiers transplant though. I'm I'm Algiers now since uh since Katrina. See, in this case, now you got you got all cases. Look, they they, they had uh they had higher land over there. Yeah, I know. That's what that's that's been around for a minute. Look, so native New Orleanian, you were at one point in time a deputy sheriff in undergrad. <laughs> I actually met my wife in the jail, which I I love telling. People. Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. You got there. You got to run this story. Yeah, people always <laughs> ask my wife and I, how, how did you meet? I said, well, we met in prison. <laughs> And a lot of times I'll just walk off and leave them with that. But my <laughs> wife was a nurse in the jail and okay. I was a deputy in the jail. They had a, and, and maybe Miss Hudson, uh, with her win, will consider reinstituting that. When I was an undergrad, they had a program for college students where you could work there and you, they had pretty flexible hours. Wow. Um, and we could supplement our income. Right. And I and I a couple of my Suno friends and I went over there, got jobs, and we we hustled it till we graduated. Man, that's crazy. There's good checks over there. Yeah, you. I mean, that's a, that's a real job. It's a real job. Yeah, you pursuing education. You know, a lot of us don't have a trust fund or parents to write a check for us to go to college. You got to get it how you live. No, I had to, I, had to, I had to hustle it up. Right. I had to make sure I could afford them books. High. Man, but I didn't even buy books in, in college. I would get print outs, print outs and stuff. <laughs> I'm serious. I mean, I'm not paying for that book. You book like three hundred dollars. I'm not doing it. Give me a printout. <laughs> I understand. You got to be creative, man. You gotta, you gotta I spent a lot of time in the library copying too. I'm, I'm telling you, bro. Like, oh, man, you got to be creative. So look, and, and you did that through undergrad. So it was like what four years? You you did that three four I, years. In undergrad, you probably graduated in three years. You? I, no, 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 no. I I I did the whole four years, and not only was I doing deputy sheriff, I did work study. <laughs> And I work for uh, some lawyers. Wow, I, I had to hustle it up. That's what that's, that's that's what drove you to go to law school. What what motivates you to go to law school? Uh, one of my best friends' dad, um, good good friend of mine who I grew up with. Uh, it, my parents separated when I was ten, so I spent a lot of years middle school and high school in Georgia. And one okay. of my closest friends in Marietta, his dad was a lawyer, and I really looked up to him. And th- that's one of the reasons. Um, and then I started working for lawyers in undergrad. And that's why I do bankruptcy. Yeah. One of the lawyers did bankruptcy, which you realize not too many lawyers did and say, oh, I can make a little money doing you that. You make a killing doing bankruptcy, especially when you know what you're doing like you. like. And look, especially when people say, oh, that's the black guy who does bankruptcy. Right. Oh, yeah, right. call me. Call me. Man, I'm telling you, because I don't, just thinking about it off the top of my head, you know, 
And again, this is me. I know, I know who you are in terms of like that highbrow intelligence. It's it's amazing that they don't have at least some other lawyers that do it on your level. But I don't know of any other black lawyers that do bankruptcy like you do it. I I know two other black lawyers, and and I it, when I think of it, I'm gonna call their name out, but it's, I'm just drawing a blank right now. But it, you, the issue is the volume, right? And w- what I will tell you is there nobody nobody black doing the same numbers I'm doing, but my numbers are nothing compared Ooh. to the white attorneys who are doing it. Right. When I tell you I may do, let's say I'm doing eight or nine cases a month, and there's somebody else who's doing fifty or That's fifty-five. Insane, man. And you and then you go to court and you realize, wait, all your clients are black. What what is going on? Where's the disconnect? And it's not your advertising because you're not advertising that heavy. And, and and you know, you just wonder what what brought you to this particular firm. And a lot of times out here a lot of times bankruptcy clients are recycled clients. Right. They'll end up filing one or two times or three times because the process can be very difficult on folks mm-hmm. and, and understand the process. And then look, if you're going through a financial hardship, just because you filed bankruptcy doesn't mean that the financial hardship Stop. ends. Yep. So, you know, they may come to me on the second or third bankruptcy and they tell me horror stories about how they were talked to from somebody else. Why would you let this person talk to you? Like what made you go over to this person? They just handled me so bad, Mr. Shorty. Well, well, why were you there? Why After they handled you bad, you still wrote them a check. At what point do you say, man, my self-respect is going to tell me, you know what, I'm going to go to somebody else because I'm not going to let you handle me. Like right, that. right. I mean, you know, regardless of the legal situation, whether it be criminal to, you know, handling, you know, a huge corporate client, you have to do that with the client should be treated to a degree to where that dignity isn't always intact. You know, you got you to gotta have some empathy. And I think, again, just like you said, a lot of times we, as a people, lose sight of that. And we think that going to this particular lawyer is just what we don't have any options. Whereas you're talking about somebody who has 20 years of experience practicing law, who is well-respected in the community, who is, you're also an elected official, right? Yeah, yeah. Elected official on the board of supervisors for Southern University, that's a that's a, a a position that the governor of the state has to appoint you to, and you are, and also you're not only on that board, you're the chairman this year of all of Southern's universities across. It's a it's a statewide network of universities. Let me let me stop you. I do not have that many tickets for Bayou Classic. So don't, 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 don't want everybody calling me about Bayou Classic tickets. But but look, one of the things um, that I try and impart to to my clients or folks that call me um, is that, especially when you're dealing with bankruptcy, that there is no it it it's not indicative of who you are as a person. And in our community, in the black community, it has such a stigma. Stigma, to it. yeah, and you know, I try and tell them, hey, look, this crosses all boundaries. I've got white clients. I've got black clients. I've got rich clients, poor clients. I've got folks who've had top secret military clearances, police officers, um, doctors, people who went to law school with me. So, you know, one of the things is to try and tell people, let's let's deal with your situation and let's see if we can help you in your situation. 
and that this is, this is not indicative of who you are as a person. Everybody has financial issues. Right. Um, it happens. You know, but for a few things happening and me being blessed, I could have been filing bankruptcy. I mean, we all go through these trying times, and this is a business decision. <laughs> and And the thing that drives me is that my white clients understand that it's a business decision. Right. My black clients seem to feel that it says something about who they are as people. And it's just, a, it's you know, I can't tell you the number of people who say, well, you know, uh, Bank of America been trying to work with me. And Bank of America is not your family friend. Man, look. <laughs> they, you, you act like, they, you know, like they did you some favor by granting you credit. I mean, this is just a decision. And trust me, if you file a bankruptcy and you discharge that debt, they will extend you credit at a later date. Right. <laughs> not a big right. deal. Right. It's, it's for them. It's about, it's always about the business of making money. And once we, again, you're an economic commodity, there's nothing different. And as a matter of fact, not only are you an economic commodity, you are a lower value economic commodity. These people have algorithms and formulas that they use to determine based on your zip code, if you worth it. And if you're worth it, you know what? You're a little bit of a risk. I'm going to charge you more, a, a higher interest rate because you live right here. I wish so many more people understood how those decisions are made mm. because that's another difference I see distinctly between usually my white and black clients. Right. The amount of debt that my white clients have amassed is way greater than my black clients. And I'm not, it's what I'm getting at is the amount of credit that they were allowed to get, get right to borrow, to borrow and the interest rates that they are borrowing at. It's just completely different. That's insane. And then I look at my black clients and you're borrowing less, but the interest that you're paying is way more. It's more. And you go, well, look, had some if somebody had set you down, I do a lot of financial counseling with my clients on, look, wh- how do you establish credit? How do you reestablish credit after a filing of a bankruptcy? And just some good financial practices mm. of, of ways to make sure that uh, you can, you're not paying these onerous rates. I see people paying over 10%, 15% on car loans. And I'm going, how, how did you, th- these numbers don't even make sense, but, but it's a, it's an everyday practice. And you realize that it's expensive to be poor. It, wow, man. Say, hold on, hold on. Say that's a jewel. Justicejewels.com. It's coming soon. That's a, that's a justice jewel. It's expensive to be poor. The the rates that people pay. If your washer and dryer breaks, you just go get one. And right. if you and if you get it on a credit card, then your credit card interest is pretty low, and you're probably paying it out at the end of the month. But for somebody who's in financial straits, then they're going to borrow from somebody to pay it, and they're paying eleven to twelve percent or higher interest just to make sure that they're not going to the laundromat. You know, mm-hmm. and 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 are they going to pay for that washer and dryer twice based on those numbers? Yes. You know, I watched a special once on the number of times that um, a lot of times people come to me for bankruptcies because they've had cars repossessed, and you know, you get sued on the difference that's mm-hmm. owed on the car, and just the number of times that one car can be sold, and the number of loans outstanding on one vehicle. That was a whole sixty-minute special. Wow. And and people get in these traps where, especially our folks, we're, we're trying to, 
I don't want to say keep up with the Joneses, but but give your kids what you didn't have. Right. And they end up buying these cars for kids that, that really they can't afford. The kid can't maintain insurance on the car. They get into an accident. Now it's totaled out. And you once the car is totaled out, you owe the difference between what's owed and what the car's value was. Right. And they get sued on this thing that they don't have anymore. And before, they're getting garnished. Parents are getting garnished for their kid's car. And it keeps them in poverty. And, and Work in poverty because you're going to work every day. You are working every day, two or three jobs, but you are firmly in poverty. And just some better financial decisions or understanding, hey, man, maybe that kid doesn't need that car with that note on it. Right. Maybe you just need to buy one cash. Yeah. Hooped it. I drove a hoopty for years. I drove one, multiple hoopties for many years. <laughs> and, and, you know, you try and make those decisions when you can make those decisions. But the other thing I see a lot is, you know, grown or older folks trying to maintain and take care of adults. Mm. And then these adults don't step up to make sure that grandma doesn't lose the house. You got you got grandma trying to take care of you on Social Security. And the minute she says, well, can you help me with my note? You go move out and rent somewhere. So that's man. Listen, down by law, we're here talking to the distinguished Edwin M. Shorty Jr. 504-582-9422. Ed is on here giving out straight hot fire information, financial information. It's not just like, you know, you come to him at the end where you're ready to file bankruptcy, but you get, this man is giving people financial literacy advice and that's that's what we need as a community more than anything because this is an economic engine that we live in the united states of america um we need to wake up we need to wake up folks and realize what you know what we need to do as a people to get to the next level and one of those things ed like when you talked about like people make they we make these decisions and I, i consider them to be somewhat rash knee jerk uh decisions and it's more so about if you take time out to think and think about things logically and think about, you know, what's the reasonable decision to make, just like you talked about, like overextending yourself is a very dangerous situation because just like we're dealing with the pandemic, like anything can happen and it shifts and your whole world crumbles. What do you do? Like stop, you know, you gotta, you gotta take time out to really anticipate that anything can happen. You just gotta be, just rather, be safe than sorry. You know what I'm saying? I can tell you that across the board, most people are living check to check. And that's not a knock on any particular subset. Right. Um, like I said, I've represented lawyers and doctors and they're living check. People spend what they make. Absolutely. 100%. They spend what they make. And if, and, and a lot of times, and the thing that allows me to have empathy is because I've seen so many people in different situations where the thing that, that brought them uh, to the brink or pushed them over the brink was a divorce. Failed marriage. Yeah. You know, a failed marriage. You you were living off a of two-family income, and now one of those incomes is gone. Or the, the one of the worst things to me is in America, people get sick, mm. and then their lives are ruined. Medical bills. Medical bills. Um, you know, or that mistake of, I didn't have insurance on that car. That car got in an accident, and that is all it took to drive you over. It's crazy, and that's that's just like common. It's it's so easy for those things to occur. It's like you think about the commonality that we share across the spectrum, 
And we're already like, we're already playing from behind, you know, as, as, as black folks, we play from behind. It's just the way it is for us. But when you start talking about normal everyday things that occur to anybody that lives in this country, those things, those a failed marriage, you know, getting sick and not having enough coverage or not having insurance or, you know, you having an accident, can't afford to catch your car notes and all of that stuff. That's normal stuff, but it can send you into a spiraling situation of debt and, and just, you know, financial ruin. And then, and it's funny, Ed, because it, it, this is an interesting conversation in the sense of people are so guarded about their finances. Like, People are, you know, that's one of the things that people really, it's taboo to even talk about it. They won't talk about, I don't want to talk about my money. I don't want to talk about what I, you know. Money and death. It's you, weird. I, huh? I don't know if you've had those conversations with people where, they, where their loved one died and they don't know if there was an insurance policy. They don't know if there's the a will. They, and, I, and they say, well, what can you help me with? What? It's kind of hard for me to search for the will for your loved one. Right. You don't know where it's at? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I th- we think he had insurance. Well, you need to know. I can't. There's no central database where I could tell you if somebody had insurance. Why? Why? Why are we not having those discussions? And why do we believe that if we have insurance, that you, you're putting yourself in the grave or you're putting your loved one in the grave just no. to have those conversations? No. Everybody's gonna die. Buy those policies when they're reasonable for you to get. You can right. get a million dollars. You're not gonna pay that much. We get these burial policies. And and I'm not saying everybody should look to death to change their circumstances or their financial outlook on life, but I'm saying it makes a difference. I know that my wife and I have accumulated a certain amount of debt together, mm-hmm. and we can maintain the, 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 the amount of debt that we have. But were I to pass, I would not want her to struggle to maintain that debt without my income. So I make sure that there's enough insurance to cover all the debt that I've accumulated with her. Hey, I'm going I'm to stop you right there, and I'm going to go back to something you just said. Uh, you know, you you know, you know, kind of alluded to, well, you, you shouldn't put it in a situation where it's a financial windfall for your folks if you die. I'm going to say this. If you get up and you go to work every day and you have a family, you have somebody that you love and you care about, and you're leaving them behind, it is imperative to you on you to get as much insurance as you can afford to pay so that when you pass on your children, your loved ones are in a better financial position than when you were here. And I don't care what anybody says. I've seen so many families uh, excel and move to the next level just based on the insurance proceeds. If like if you can afford a million, and it's not it's not crazy expensive like people think. You can afford a million dollar policy, go get one. Put it if you got if you got young kids, you need to have as much, if you if you need to have a million dollar policy. I'm sorry, like cut out cut out some of the bars. Don't you know? Don't buy those sneakers this month. Go get a million dollar policy for your kids because guess what? You can put it. You can lock it up, have it in the trust, so that when the kids get a certain age, they can get that money. And then your kids aren't worrying about <coughs> about whether or not. They've got a bar to go to school, you know. Right. Um, whether or not they're getting a car when they're 16 or something right. like that. Right. But I'll flip that a little bit. We're talking about insurance. The other thing that really pushes folks is they're not getting enough insurance on these houses. I've been talking to people about these Hurricane Ida claims. 
And I've had a few people come to me who had named storm exclusions on their policies. That's crazy. Which means that if there was a named hurricane, it did not cover them. <laughs> and I went, well, why would you even buy that? <laughs> you live in hurricane you island. You live in hurricane <laughs> land. And then I realized. They want to save money. Somebody had a $300,000 house and they had an $800 a year insurance premium. Oh, okay. You didn't realize this premium's way too low? That there's no way that you insured this house properly for $800 a year? And I understand you're on a fixed income, but your largest asset, the largest asset that you have, the thing that you've been paying off for 30 years, if it burned down or if, it, if there's a hurricane, which this lady happened to have a hurricane that uh, I'd have tore the roof off her house wow. and destroyed her house. She, she had coverage. that exclusion, man. Look, you know what? And I'm gonna tell you something too. Y'all gotta stop. Y'all gotta stop going to these. I guess you know the insurance carriers or brokers or agents. They just they're just trying to make a living. But you gotta stop letting these people talk you into not uh, properly protecting yourself. Like I was telling, like just like with that, I was telling, and you know, you, you talked about it earlier in terms of people having wrecks in cars and then not being able to afford them and pay. You know, when it when it gets uh, damaged. I was talking to some of the staff in our office, and I was like, man, y'all make sure y'all got UM on y'all's uh, insurance policies because they got a lot of people riding around with no insurance. So underinsured motorist or uh, uninsured motorist coverage is a provision in your policy that kicks in once you're, um, if somebody hits you and they don't have insurance, mm-hmm. right? And the people, some of the staff are like, oh, uh, man, that, that costs too much. They add, I'm like, you know how much it's going to cost if you can't afford to get your car fixed? First of all, it's going to cost me money because you ain't you're going to talk about you can't come to work because you got something going on with your yep. car. I don't understand it. Like, you have to properly protect yourself. Well, you know the new trick that they're playing on? Oh, we're going to give you UM, but it's economic loss Economic only, only yeah. You go, okay, what does that mean? That means only the money you spent, only the, the medical bill is going to get covered. Right. You go, well, that doesn't help you. What if you, you're really injured? I mean, some compensation for um, your pain and suffering. You get nothing. Zero. And those policies don't pay a lot for economic loss only. No. No. But you, you're trying to save, and I get it, folks are on tight budgets, but there's some things that you shouldn't skimp on. No. Sometimes it's $10 a month. More. Like, what are you talking about? It's, it's pretty reasonable. Yeah, like, don't do that to yourself. Like, that's a setup. If it's people need to, you always have to put your, you got to have the mentality like the what ifs. What if this happens? What if this happens? What if this happens? You always have to put yourself in that position because you can't control what other people do. You know, back to it's expensive to be poor. I find that the more expensive the policies that you have and the more policies you have, the cheaper it is. Oh, yeah, for sure. So I find that the number of cars I have in my driveway all have, let's say, 100, 300 policies. I'm paying less than some folks who may have one car with a twenty, thirty thousand dollar policy, and they give me a discount right. because of multiple vehicle discount, multiple vehicle, and because of the amounts of the policy. Right. And it's right. like, well, maybe it's a little pricey, but if you up your limits, you'd save some. <laughs> yeah, you save. It makes more sense. You put you you're, you're further protecting yourself in the event of a com- uh, calamity or something to that effect. Definitely, you have to like you have to take care of you first and foremost. You have to take care of you and your family first and foremost, and that means you need to one educate yourself on insurance, know what it means, 
and know what it's about because at the end of the day, if something happens, you know, any kind of tragedy, you don't want it to be left up to that person to be properly protected, to, 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 to look out for you. Look, there are way too many people, as you know, running around without insurance. None. And they are hitting folks, and then they are driving off. Right, right. And you are stuck if you don't have the right insurance. No savings. And if you do have a little bit of savings, that's gone because you got to pay. You got to, you know, you got to continue to to maintain yourself, get back to work, and get back, get back on your feet. Look, especially here where what happens when you drive through that water that you thought was two inches mm. and it wasn't two inches and you didn't flood it out the car. Mm. And now you now your car is done. And those are the kind of things that a lot of times end up pushing people to me because they just they just didn't plan. And and, and we don't think about, hey, look, I, I, I don't want to call folks out, but how much is it costing you to get your hair done? How much are you spending per month on on makeup or, or how much are you spending? Like you mentioned, shoes. These things are if, if you budget correctly. A lot of times you can deal with these things. We got to prioritize our money. Right. Right. And that's that's the most important thing because while you're sitting there looking pretty, you're catching the bus. RTA is your best friend because you decided you didn't want to do what was um, needed as opposed to what you wanted. And that's tough. I mean, I understand it because people want gratification. You know, we did, we we live tough lives. You know, getting up and getting walking out of the house and just trying to make a living and take care of your family. That can be very difficult. When you wear this this gorgeous black skin, look, I, <laughs> I, I get it. Uh, and you sometimes you want the things that you want because at the end of the day you're saying, "Look, I'm working hard." Right. But you've got to think beyond that immediate gratification. I remember having an assistant who really wanted a Mercedes, and I tried to coach her not to get it. Um, maintenance, you know the the maintenance, and I said, "Baby, what you don't understand is." You can't rotate them ties. Mm. The front ties and the back ties are different sizes. <laughs> so when you go get ties, you're getting four ties. Four new tires. And, and you know, that's a that's a number. Man, look. Oof. People don't understand it about those. You start getting foreign, foreign whips, You that, that, that comes at a premium, Jack. I'm trying to tell you. Look, I remember growing up driving my daddy's Ford truck all the time. And you get the rotors turned. And you change the brake pads. And I and I got it in my mind that I was gonna get one of them expensive cars, and they said, "Well, we don't we don't turn rotors here. You just buy a new rotor, new rotor, a new, a new rotor. You know how much rotors cost? <laughs> you, you can't do the. My daddy used to do the thing. They put it on the machine. They turn the rotor, put the rotor back on the truck. Right? Nah, buddy. New brake pads, new rotors. Man, thousand dollar brake job. And you go, man. That's look. If you can a do it, thousand. you can do it. But if you can't, you know that's that's something that you've got to look at in the cost of ownership. It has to be budgeted. You know, it has to be budgeted in, like you said, in the cost of ownership. And again, these are some of the decisions that we make to where we don't really understand how that works. And if you're smart, like if you, you know, it's, it's you know, financial financial literacy is is simple if you take a simple approach. Do the take do what your grandmother did. Take those jars or those envelopes and use those to set up your financial plan. Well, the thing that I see so often is those folks who've made a decision about transportation like that and, and how much and overspending on transportation, but housing, (laughs) we're about to lose a house and we've spent too much on transportation. Right. And, or not that you're about to lose it, but you won't help family members maintain a house that you're going to inherit. Oh, 
And I, I know I've given pushback to some of my friends who like to talk about gentrification. And I said, well, I can't blame investors for coming into a neighborhood and buying property and doing whatever they're going to do with it. When a lot of times I know folks who've inherited property and they didn't pay the taxes. Right. Or they just didn't maintain it. Not blighted. And they didn't care. And I wonder if they didn't care because they weren't the ones who had to work to get it. Right. And grandma had it. And then grandma gave it to you. And now you've lost it. But you've got your nice whip out front. But you don't want to maintain uh, the asset. The depreciating asset versus a, uh, what do you call it? Depreciating versus what? When it goes up. What is that called? Appreciate. Appre- appreciate yeah. asset. See how it goes? Yeah. My mind is all muddled. Listen, you know something else, though, that you said in terms of uh, home ownership? Versus, you know, cars and all this stuff. When you ride around some of the nicest neighborhoods, they don't have those kind of cars in their driveways. Correct. These people drive regular cars. <laughs> or, or like I like I tell my folks all the time, plan it out. Right. Got to buy the house first. Right. Right. Because when you're looking at the interest rate that you're going to pay on the big mortgage, it's going to be impacted by the number of cars you've got and the loans that you've got on mm-hmm. cars. So get your house and then you could play around with your car and you're going to pay better interest on both because they're looking at your debt to income ratio. Right. When they determine which, you know, the, the, you know, the house is the hardest thing to get. That's, that's like a surgery trying to get you the proof for the house loan. Yes. Um, and I always tell people, Hey, look, manage that. Don't buy anything. Uh, you know, that year before you're buying a house, don't, don't get any new cars. Once you close on the house, once you do all that, then you can look at cars. Mm-hmm. But but a lot of times in our community, these cars maintain people in poverty. And I, I just don't understand how our transportation keeps you mm. down. It's like, why are you trying to keep up with folks, man? Don't, don't, don't get that car. Get a house. Get a house, man. You know, and I mean, that's, that's just, you got to prioritize things that make sense because you can't live in it. Well, you can live in that car, but who wants to live in a car? When when I do my chapter 13 bankruptcies, which is usually to save people's homes, I have to do a financial plan for you. And I have to take out all your numbers and say, look, this is how much you're paying for housing. This is what you're paying for cars, operating expenses for cars, food, kids, and all that kind of stuff. And a lot of times the car is the thing that makes the difference on whether or not they can continue to afford the house. Mm -hmm. And people have to make hard choices. Because in the bankruptcies, you you can keep things and you can let things go, um, depending on which kind. So in the 13s, what I'm doing is giving you time to get caught up on your mortgage. But if the numbers don't work on paper because you've got a $600 car note or two $600 car notes and another $400 car note for your little daughter who who just graduated that you wanted to send her off with a nice Honda Accord – then now you're over $1,500 in car notes. Transportation. In transportation. Plus and, insurance, if you're doing it right. And these numbers don't work on paper. I've got to justify that you're going to be able to pay your house note and pay other bills. And a lot of times what folks don't understand is, well, to some degree I'm telling Visa and MasterCard they're not getting paid. Mm-hmm. But Visa and MasterCard may be looking at those car numbers and saying, well, wait, we paid for you to get that call. And they give me pushback on some things. Well, why why are they keeping this car? They can't afford this car. Right. So all that comes into play. And at the end of the day, what we want to do is maintain you in your house. 
we, we want to do whatever we can to, to make sure the numbers work out on your house. Um, so that look, a lot of times people will say, what do you, what do you think? Do you think I ought to do a bankruptcy or do you think I ought to do a modification? And I say, well, it depends on you individually. What's the difference? Well, the difference is it's going to change the terms of the loan. So if I put you in a bankruptcy and you've got 20 years left on your mortgage, when you come out of the bankruptcy after five years, you're going to have 15 years left on your mortgage. So because you've paid extra every month to get caught up because you fell behind a modification, they're going to take the past due on your loan and they're going to redo your loan. Mm. So if you were, if you had 20 years left, when they do the modification, they're going to stretch you back out to 30 years. And what I always tell folks is, look, all right, if you've been in your house one or two years, things went south, and you've got to redo your numbers, that's not so bad. Yeah. But when you start saying, I've been in the house 10 or 15 years, and now you're going to stretch that loan back out, you're going to pay for your house for 45 years? You know, you go buy a house right now for $100,000. And when you sign that promissory note and you look at the amateurization schedule, it's going to say, oh, over the 30 years, you're going to pay back $300,000. So for my $100,000 house, I'm paying $300,000. Right. All right, once they stretch you back out, if you look at the whole schedule, you're going to pay a half a million dollars for your $100,000 house. Wow. Under no circumstances do those numbers make sense. And when I break it down to folks like that, they say, Ed, I would rather do the bankruptcy because that makes sense. Right. Or I'm going to let the house go. And a lot of times my hard conversation with folks is, let's let this house go. Mm. Because I've run into people who've, who've gotten so far behind that it's a, it's a silly term, but they're upside down on the house. And I said, well, look, this, this, these numbers don't make sense. You're, you're 60, $70,000 behind on your mortgage. Your house is worth $150,000. You're never going to catch up. Let's let this thing go. Start let's over. Start, start at over the, at that point. Let's start over. You know, you still, that, and that goes back to your earlier point of bankruptcy, not being, it's not, it's not a, it shouldn't be a stigma. It should be something to where you take it, give yourself opportunity to make better, more sound decisions and go from there to better your life. Because, you know, even with your credit report, how bankruptcy is on there for how long? Eight years. Eight years. Um, and th- does that affect how long does it take for you to be able to start, like, getting a new mortgage when, when you know, you have you just filed bankruptcy? You know, I always tell people I, I don't give advice on whether or not an entity will extend them credit mm-hmm. because that's an individual. That's an individual situational kind of thing. So if you're making money, two years is the mortgage issue. You know, after a bankruptcy, it's going to take at least two years for a lender to look at you, look at you. But yeah. my clients can get credit cards and cars after, and it's really dependent upon how much money do you make? Right. And, and don't, don't think that the bankruptcy is the thing holding you back when you make $30,000 a year and you're trying to buy a $50,000 car, it's your numbers that don't work. <laughs> so for my clients who maybe work in a, you know, they, they had a lull or a factory closed or something in the offshore industry and they start off going back to working 110,000, they can get whatever they want. Right. Because the, the, what, what the, what the creditors understand and what the individuals don't understand is they've got lawyers advising them and they are sophisticated enough to know if you filed that bankruptcy, you can't file another bankruptcy for eight years, at mm-hmm. least the Chapter 7, the one where you liquidate everything. Right. So they don't care about extending you credit because you stuck. 
<laughs> Once you buy that thing, you can't go back on them. So they'll they'll extend you credit. Now you may pay a little bit higher interest. Interest rate, yeah. But but you get you still you're still able to get what you what you need or what you want. You know? Correct. And that's that's the important part. But that's also the, the financial education that we lack. You know, you can't you can't look at it as being taboo to go hit the reset button if you're drowning. Like you're drowning. Do no. something. And uh, and I always tell people the most important thing is keeping that roof over your head. Right. Keep the roof over your head. Don't. And I never down folks. Look, I've had people very few, but I've had people who've taken a chance. They've taken a chance on starting a business. and The mm-hmm. business went south restaurant. They bought a bunch of uh, equipment and all that kind of things and things fell apart. Well, look, that's okay. Things like that happen all the time. So wipe your hands of it, start fresh and, and do something else. And we're going to put that behind us, but you've got to be willing to, my most successful clients are those who are willing to wash their hands of things, who are willing to say, you know, what, we're going to let this car go. Maybe we're going to let the house go. We're going to divest ourselves of some things. Right. I'm going to divest myself of that timeshare that I shouldn't have bought. Right. I'm going to divest myself of this car that's that's got high mileage, is a luxury car, costs too much to maintain, and I'll just start over with a cheaper car that's got a warranty. Smart. You, you got to look at those types of things, the cost of ownership over time. You know, how many times I've had so many people who they've got grown folks living in their house who aren't contributing. That's a dream, man. And, I can't and, do it. And and once you make this, these grown folks who living in your house, you want to take care of your daughter and your daughter and had a baby. So now you got the grandbaby in there, everybody living in there. Look, I get it. That's that's the kind of families we yeah, have, life, and extended family. There's there's nothing wrong with that. But your daughter living there, she ain't gonna pay nothing. She's not gonna help you. Yeah, other co- other cultures do that, and they um, other cultures do that, and they all contribute. So they they all rise together, and they bring the whole family whole up. family up. Listen, Ed, this is this has been a very very um, informative episode of Down by Law. We appreciate having you here. Um, we're out of here. We're out of time. But I want you to. If you guys, you you got y'all heard all the knowledge and the uh, information he has in his in his brain. So it's talking about two years, two decades of of uh, practice of law. So if you're looking to talk to somebody who can really help you out with your financial situation, whether it be literacy or, or bankruptcy or whatever, give him a call. Ed, I want you to give everybody information one more time. You can call me anytime at. 504-207-1370. Again, that's 504-207-1370. And look, I want to thank you for having me on. It is an honor to be here with one of the best attorneys in the city. If you got a chance to go check him out when he's doing his trial thing, he put his suit of armor on. <laughs> it's something to see. Go I check him out. I appreciate that. Down by law, we're out. Thank you. Man, dude, okay.